The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of MedPEP or Physician Health Services. The advice given to Marie Curious has been individualized and may not apply to the listener. While Marie Curious is a real person describing both real and hypothetical events and situations, she is using a pseudonym for this series. Welcome to MedPEP, the Medical Professionals Empowerment Program. I'm your host, Dr. Les Schwab, a practicing internist, experienced medical leader, and a professional coach. I help medical leaders and health professionals manage today's very stressful and demanding complex practice environment. My MedPEP role is to guide Dr. Marie Curious, a young primary care internist, through the difficulties of practice today so that she may not only survive, but thrive. In each MedPEP episode, I facilitate a conversation between Marie and an expert with knowledge and skills to help her humanize and optimize her experience practicing medicine. Today's expert is Dr. Joe Shapiro, who's going to speak with us about conflict management. But before we begin, I'd like to welcome Marie and ask her, how are things going with you? Les, always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Is there anything you wanted to report out about the last couple of weeks since we last met? I think in daily practice, taking to heart what Alan shared with us a, a little bit about team management, what the physician's role is in a team, and how to better facilitate communication, I've been trying to keep that at the forefront of my mind and be a little bit more sensitive to my other team members. Right. So I'll report back and see if they've given me any feedback. Okay. All right. Well, we, we will welcome that when it arrives. At any rate, I'm very interested to listen in on your conversation with Joe. Dr. Shapiro, welcome. Thank you. We're so pleased to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and what you do in general to help physicians survive and thrive? Well, it is a pleasure to be here and especially to meet you. I am a practicing surgeon, I'm a throat surgeon, and I've been at Brigham and Women's Hospital for, for many years. I direct the Center for Professionalism and Peer Support at the hospital. And, um, and th that came about from wanting to support a culture of trust and respect throughout the institution. Mm -hmm. I think the terms you just brought up, trust and respect, they really ought to be the cornerstone of our profession because we're trying to engender that with patients when they're entrusting us with their lives, which is the most important thing in their health. And so what issues came about that brought you to the realization that there needed to be more engendering of trust? It's a great question and something that I continue to be motivated to, mm. to work towards. Um, at, at some point, in addition to my, my doing my clinical work, I was also the associate director for graduate medical education for Brigham and Women's and Mass General. And it was with that view um, where I had lots of contact with so many hardworking clinicians mm -hmm. and educators and researchers that I realized there were not a lot of programs institutionally or organizationally that were supportive, and not just at our institutions, but sort of in, in medicine in general, that were really trying to support the people actually doing the work, the actual clinicians and educators and researchers. And I, I got interested in thinking about doing more organizational upstream work specifically to support each of us so we can show up and do the work that we all really want to be doing. And that was when I thought about what 
about the culture should should remain and be valued and, and enhanced and what about the culture was getting in the way of people being able to really enjoy their work and I thought trust and respect were so foundational to that oh. joy at work and also um, all the other things that then let us do better work so that people were working for the patients and right. the trainees and, and such actually can have the benefit of our full selves. So when you think about trust and respect, it's between colleagues rather than in relation to patients. Well, Is that about right? I think it's both are important. Mm. What, what I was reflecting on was there was more attention paid downstream to, for example, to physicians' communication skills with patients. Yes. Not a lot about how we as institutions are interacting with our providers and also how we as providers are interacting with each other on the healthcare team. And that's where I felt like the work needed to happen. That's right. How do we all play nicely in the sandbox together? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but exactly. to do good work right. for the outcome. To build those sandcastles. That's <laughs> right. And all of us come in, I mean, as physicians, there is perhaps a founded assumption that we're in it to do good for people and to help improve people's lives. And so somehow that sometimes gets warped when there's conflict within the team or between physicians or in the workplace. What are those aspects of the culture that get in the way? Well, I think as you pointed out, certainly we need to manage conflict when we're at work. I mean, I think there's nothing wrong with conflict. I think it's absolutely healthy. Mm. Just as a consultant, I can tell you sometimes you might ask me to see the patient and I might think one thing should happen. Right. Maybe a different consultant thinks something else and you as the primary care leader think something else. And we need to manage that different perspectives. That has happens all the time. But we're never taught to do that. And that, that to me seemed like a big gap and also a big potential for people being able to deal with their differences over whatever work they were doing in a way that felt reinforcing and respectful rather than, you know, you're wrong, I'm right, and you don't understand and I do. Ah, so we're getting back to trying to understand human nature. You know, I, I have toddlers, so I always have oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, kids on my mind. How do you train, so to speak? How do you teach your young ones to be respectful of others, to listen to them and not have that attitude of, I'm right, you're wrong? And we see that in three and four-year-olds, and, and now we're seeing it played out in the work environment. Exactly, and I think that toddler analogy is apt and not in a disrespectful way towards no. our colleagues, but right. the fact is that those are learnable skills and yes. they're, they're teachable, but they're more important, they're learnable. And I think that, you know, some people said initially, oh, well, if they didn't know, learn this in kindergarten, <laughs> right. they're never gonna <laughs> learn it. But a couple things, you know, first of all, my sister and brother-in-law are practicing clinical psychologists, mm -hmm. and one of the things they've taught me is you can't change character, but you can change behavior. Yes. And I don't think, I think generally speaking, physicians, believe like you just are the way you are as opposed to actually these are skills that we can help you learn and even if you've learned them somewhere before being able to apply them actually in the moment and looking even at over time in your workplace that's very different and I think we could do better and that's mm -hmm. been my one of the things that we wanted to do is to actually help clinicians really work through a way of resolving conflict or managing conflict that supports their sense of respect for themselves and for right, each other. Right, And you know, 
better than most, you know, as a practicing physician, we all love our pearls and take home points. We tend to like to get right to the meat of it. Is there a way, if it's feasible, what, what are the handful of tools that you recommend to physicians to better deal with conflict? Well, I, there's there's so many. I know. <laughs> I think you're challenging me um, in a really important way, which is it, it doesn't have to be you know a five hour uh, intensive course. I mean, all those those are good too. But <laughs> I think the principles of first of all, mm-hmm. some self reflection, mm-hmm. the the ability to say, in a situation that's conflictual, to just name what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you know, complicated, but as you know, it's actually not. You just have to be in touch with, wow, I'm really agitated here, or Mm -hmm. I'm angry at that person, or Mm -hmm. I feel hurt, or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. You certainly don't have to say it out loud. Sometimes that's relevant, but mostly it's just so that you can be aware of your emotions Mm -hmm. in the situation. Because I think that's one of the problems, and certainly my enculturation as a surgeon suffered from this idea that we don't have emotions. We're just very factual and technical, and of course that's crazy. We certainly do have emotions. You're human. Really, I know. (laughs) Exactly. Who knew? (laughs) No one told us. But I think that's really huge. It's some of the overemphasis on technical skills and cognitive skills at the expense of relational skills. It's not that those others aren't important. I mean, they're absolutely necessary. They're just not sufficient. And I think that because of that enculturation where the relational skills were devalued, Mm. that we got the other skills, I as I said, they're completely necessary. Yeah. I think you know one of the core relational skills is having some ability to recognize your own emotion and then name it so that you have a chance, a hope of managing it. Because what I end up seeing when people are struggling, um, and this is part of my job, is to help people who are struggling with repeated, I would say, skills deficits and being able to manage conflict, is that they're just simply unaware that they're very emotional and that they're behaving in a way because of that emotion that's affecting other people negatively unbeknownst to the person who's expressing those emotions. I'm smiling because that's exactly how you would describe a four-year-old. But the key is getting that physician to recognize the importance that their behavior is affecting somebody else. And so I am curious, maybe we can walk through an example from my own practice, perhaps, about how you might guide somebody through conflict management. Would that be all right? I would love to do that. Okay. So, you know, the medical world and the surgical world, all joking aside, but the cultures are different. And thankfully, I think with the good work that you're doing, they're moving more in the same direction with the emphasis on taking care of the provider who is providing the care for patients. And what I mean by that is, I have a very dear friend who is completing surgical training, and I often am on the receiving end of hearing truly horror stories, Joe, of how she's being treated in the operating room. She's been called back post-call into the OR so that she could be reprimanded in front of all the entire team by the attending. Behavior like that, you know, certainly there needs to be a lot of work there. What I mean to say is in the medical realm, as we practice an outpatient, perhaps we don't see such high emotions being manifested. Perhaps what's on the line, you know, a patient, life or death right before me on the table. Perhaps that pressure is a little bit different. 
and experienced differently in the clinical realm. But we still have conflict nonetheless. It might be a little bit more subtle. And one example that comes to mind for me personally is a colleague that I work with, a physician, who I know cares about the patient first and foremost. And I never doubt this person's intentions, but he is very demanding of team resources that are meant to be shared, whether that's my nurse practitioner or the medical assistants. It just seems that everything he wants done needs to be stat, you know, in capital letters and bolded when perhaps it doesn't need to be. How do I navigate that situation? It's a, a perfect example. I just want to loop back for a second to what you said. Certainly, we have a specialty-specific culture, but the Center for Professionals and Peer Support, of course, we're dealing with you know all the specialties yeah. and not just physicians and you know other members of the healthcare team. And also, I am married to an internist, so <laughs> a little bit of an inside scoop on that. But <laughs> so certainly, you're right. There are some some differences, and there's certainly individual differences. So I want to you know acknowledge that yes, there are differences, but there's so much in common. So this example would be just like OR or emergency mm -hmm. department. Yes, sometimes the acuity is different or the intensity, absolutely. But the fundamental issues mm -hmm. are the same. And the other thing I wanted to say was, you know, you would ask me for some pearls and I said, well, one is self-reflection. Mm -hmm. My second one would have been awareness of others, the awareness of how, how others might be feeling themselves or what their perspective, not even just their feelings, but where they're coming from. Right. And then how the third is sort of how your own interactions might affect them. And so one of the uh, principles would be this idea of holding the basic assumption that we're all walking into work wanting to do the best yes. we can. And I'm going to bring that back to maybe talking about this case that you told me of a coworker, because that is very much the kind of thing that I've been asked to help mm -hmm. with. What I'm hearing is somebody who who's got an idea of, I have certain needs, and mm -hmm. you can imagine that he's going to justify his demand for those resources based on his wanting to take care of patients. Right. I need them. And there's no arguing that you know he wants them for the good reason. It's not right. for anything frivolous. Referring back to this idea of, okay, you have your own needs, is to have him try to have an understanding of, well, how might his need for resources conflict with or strain other people's need for resources and their need to take care of their patients? Right. And I would suggest in that kind of situation, and I'd have to learn a little bit more about what the relationship between you and that, that colleague is, but I think one of the first things to do is in a private setting is to be able to sit down and talk to him about how his actions are affecting other people mm. because pretty good chance he's unaware. So what I'm hearing, Joe, is that I actually need to be the initiator of some sort of conversation with this colleague. And I have to admit that drives a little fear in my heart. As it should, <laughs> or I, I should say, as it does with mine and everybody else that yeah. I know. I think one of the problems that we have in our culture of medicine right. is we're not really good about giving either positive or critical feedback sort of on a regular basis. So right. it, it holds a lot more weight because it's not likely, if I could just make a guess, that you've repeatedly said to him the times 
that he's done a specifically wonderful behavior. We tend to just talk to each other if we do at all when things aren't going well. So we, we just mm. really haven't set it up well. And mm -hmm. I think that can change easily mm -hmm. if we get some tools to do that. Mm -hmm. But I would recommend absolutely because it, it's very respectful to him right. for you to first of all take the time out to talk to him and also to give him the chance to change his behavior. Because yeah. without feedback, he really has no chance, I think, of knowing what this is doing to other people. I see. And so part of the complicating factor, Joe, is that other people on our team, namely our nurse practitioner, medical assistants, they've come to me in privacy to sometimes cry and to also just to have somebody to listen to them about how this other clinician is making them feel by the way he's treating them. And so what do I do with that information? Because that's in confidence. I feel like I'm walking in a minefield a little bit. And that's true. This kind of relational work around conflict and around feedback is a bit of a minefield. But I think there's some principles that can help you navigate that. Okay. Um, one is that you don't have to have witnessed a behavior yourself to have a reason to give someone feedback. So he doesn't hmm. have to behave poorly towards you. Right. And we have in medicine and lots of other areas in life, there's hierarchy and yes. the safety of these particular people to be able to go to him and say, this is how you're affecting me. It's not there most likely, or they would have given him the feedback. Right. Probably my guess is uh, from what I understand about how you move through the world, if you had done something one day that was upsetting, I think the medical system would be comfortable saying, hey, you know, this, this didn't work out. Um, oh, Joe, I've gotten immediate feedback <laughs> there by you go. message. <laughs> so I guessed right. And that's because you, there's the way you are in the world is respectful of other people. They know they could tell you something and it would be towards building the relationship, right. not towards tearing it down. And the fear of your retaliating against them would not be there. And I think if you have any colleagues, and, and again, I'm assuming, and really, I think probably it's fair to assume that your colleague, it's not about his intention, it's about his impact, that he's mm -hmm. unaware, mm -hmm. um, but he also is unaware of the fear that he's set up of people being honest mm -hmm. with him. Mm -hmm. And so it's very common that mm -hmm. you are in the situation where people who trust you tell you what's happening, but they don't feel safe in speaking directly, because that would be ideal. You know, if you upset right. me, I'd like it if you spoke to me, but we understand that's not always yeah. possible. So this is what I deal with all the time, mm -hmm. because at our hospital, if people have concerns about repetitive or egregious behavior around professionalism, yes. if it has to do with a physician, regardless of who's bringing it forward, it usually comes through me. And so I'm doing a lot of coaching in the moment or, you know, institutionally, uh, where I can help bring the issue forward. So what I always have to do is I have to be mindful of, and I'm certainly reminded by the people who report concerns that they're not comfortable my saying, Suzanne, the medical assistant, said this about you. Mm. The way around that might be for you to make sure that you have enough kinds of, of examples mm -hmm. without name, date, and serial number, mm -hmm. or medical record number, where you have enough examples that when you speak to your colleague, you can say, first of all, 
well, I'm, this is secondhand, but I have gotten, I've spoken to several people because the concern isn't just one person and it wasn't one day. And it seems to be a pattern that you're probably unaware of. Mm. And I can't, I don't certainly want to say who said what, but I think I have enough for you that I can give you specific behaviors. Mm-hmm. So you need very specific behaviors without identifiable on Tuesday with this patient, you said that to her. Right. And that can protect the reporters of the concerns. And you can also be explicit if there is fear to say, it's really important you don't go back to anybody and talk about Mm. this because they're a a bit afraid of you, which, you know, I'm sure they don't need to be, but that is how they feel. So I really need you not to approach anybody about this. Can I tell you a secret, Joe? Absolutely. Sometimes I wish people were a little more afraid of me. (laughs) 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 Because I see the ways that, you know, he's protected in in some some ways so to speak he's not interrupted during his work people jump when he barks but i think something that didn't occur to me yet which you've brought up and i i want to mull over it is the fact that i can have a role as a peer and not a superior to him but i can have a positive role in bringing change to our group to our team because ultimately we are working as part of a team in our clinic I also want to reflect a little bit more about how his behavior is making me feel as a colleague in and of itself, as well as his relationships with others. So you've given me a lot to think about. I'm I'm glad I have, and I also wanted to add another, maybe even subtler advantage to, Mm. uh, or motivation to actually have the conversation with them, is that actually this behavior can affect you, as you said, but also it, it pulls resources to him and the resources are coming from somewhere. Yes. So all the attention he is getting for his patient care isn't to other people's patients. And I think it's why the Joint Commission has a, a mandate to end behaviors that undermine a culture of safety. And they are behaviors uh, that they don't have to be throwing, yelling, right, nothing like right. that. But where somebody is being overly demanding, sometimes demeaning, any anything that where it create an environment where, and there's no feedback because of fear, where actually it can affect patients. Now, maybe not, you know, in a dramatic way, but it's quite subtle in a subtle way. So I think hopefully that would give you some motivation because like you mentioned, I want to, you know, honor this, that it's hard to do. It's very hard to do, but I do think it's worth it. And I think it actually shows respect for for your colleague Mm. that you're willing to take the time. And also you're not in charge of whether he hears it or not. You Mm -hmm. can just say, I just want to let you know, Mm -hmm. because this is affecting all of us. And I think that gets back to the cornerstone of the very things we started our conversation about to bring it full circle is trust and respect. And so it is respect for my colleague, too, if I move forward to try to resolve this conflict, not just for myself, but for our team. Exactly. I look I look at feedback as a gift. Well, this has really been a great conversation. And I agree that very often in our culture, particularly in internal medicine, perhaps versus surgery, we are conflict averse, that we take (laughs) disagreements, incursions and whatnot on the chin and just hold them inside. And in the end, it's probably not the best for us, let alone the people who are affected, our colleagues and our patients. So what I hear is some really good advice about trying to counter that sense of conflict aversion, of the worthiness and healthiness of conflict and a couple of pointers about how to think about it, that it really is not personal. This is not a personal fight between you and the other and dominance, submission or whatever. This is really about getting it right for third parties who are both affected by this conflict. And 
that is a way to sort of detoxify the anticipation of it so that mm. it seems more doable. And I heard you, Marie, saying that, yeah, if I'm doing this for community, for others, for patients, makes it less scary. It makes it feel like this is less a test and then something that I can see myself advocating for. So at least that's how I heard you gain insight in the course of it. Les, I think I have my work cut out for me. And I, I, I plan to have something to report back to you. Okay, great. So I just wanted to ask Joe just a couple more things on this, if I may. One is that there are situations when perhaps because of seniority, perceived power of the conflict counterpart, uh, not antagonist, uh, that <laughs> it might be more useful rather than to take it on oneself to use the hierarchy. And I wondered if you had any insights about how to discriminate when it is just too much to ask of one's own personal style to take it on and instead invoke help. Yeah, I think it's a very important question. And I think, I mean, there's no algorithm for it, but I, one of the things when I teach giving difficult feedback is don't do it if you feel at risk yourself. It's really, if you feel that in giving the feedback, it's really going to come to harm you in some way, then it's not yours to, you don't have to do that. But it is your obligation, I would say, to actually invoke some help so, where so other people can deal with it. Otherwise, we end up kind of putting it off and then the, it usually the bad behavior escalates. So I think that this reflection, when people come to me, I have them reflect on, do you feel, you know, what would be the risks of your giving the feedback? And most times by the time someone's coming to me, they've already made the decision that it's too risky for them to do that and they don't feel the normal channels are going to be necessarily following through. And so that's the role of the center is to provide another avenue for people to, if there is conflict that they're having trouble managing, to let us help them do that because we have a lot of experience doing that, mm -hmm. including retaliation prevention and monitoring and then escalating accountability. And that's that's very important as well. In the, in the example that Marie was saying, the her role is very different. She's not an accountability figure for this person, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean her feedback wouldn't be very helpful. Right. But it, 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 it certainly, she has to feel safe and, and also understand that it's not illegal behavior or it's not so bad that if he doesn't change it, there's gonna be real direct harm to other people. If those are, are, are factors that the behavior is really that bad, then absolutely, I think you, getting help just like getting a consult if you need an airway management, you know, as a primary care doctor, you're, you're going to ask us to help. Sure. It's the same thing. All right. Very good. Well, thank you, Joe. Thank you, Marie, for a really interesting conversation. And as you know, the large framework of these discussions is really what can doctors do to navigate complexity and avoid burnout in today's medical environment. And I think unresolved conflict is actually probably a big component of physicians' malaise, of not feeling like they can effectively take care of what's bothering them, uh, particularly with colleagues or even superiors that we do need to have a healthy culture such as the one Joe is advocating in her work in order to be better able to do that. And I think we do need people like you, Marie, to feel like now and then you are empowered to give the feedback, to do it directly, because that really is the healthy way and the way to most unburden you of feeling laden with the problem or feeling like you have no agency in it. That would be a way to have less burnout around this too. Joe, thank you so much. I've learned so much from you, and I can't wait to hear more about the work that you're doing. It's, it's critical to our survival. It's a pleasure. 
So with that, I'd like to thank both of you as well as our listening audience for this really engaging session about this very important topic of learning how to handle conflict both as oneself for one's own agency and alleviating one's own distress and problems around us and also to move toward a culture in which we move toward conflict management as something that is both necessary and healthy for us. Thank you. If you have a question or a comment about today's program, email us at feedback at medpep.org or simply visit us at medpep.org. And now, here's a few words from MedPep's founder, Steve Edelman. This is Dr. Steve Edelman, creator of MedPep, the Medical Professionals Empowerment Program, and director of PHS, Physician Health Services, a charitable subsidiary of the Massachusetts Medical Society. Our mission is to promote the well-being of health professionals. Many thanks to our seeker, Dr. Marie Curious, to our guide, Dr. Les Schwab, and to our wonderful group of guest experts. Hats off to project leader, Dr. J. Dev Dasgupta, audio producer, Douglas Stevens, guitardiologist, Dr. Susie Brown, and to the staff and board of PHS. Please visit and connect with us at medpep.org for CME info, faculty bios, and additional empowerment resources.